If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. Hey everyone, it's Erin Sadler again, and today I'm going to talk to you about using phenomena in your classroom and using it to make the NGSS much more rich and much more relatable to your students. So back in episode two, Nicole and I talked about the biggest changes that have come with the shift to an NGSS aligned classroom. And one of the things that we discussed was the use of phenomena in the classroom. The use of phenomena in your classroom is so huge. Um, that we've decided to dedicate an entire episode to just talking about phenomena. I know that both of us get a lot of questions about how to use phenomena, where to find it, uh, how to make it connect to your curriculum, and all of that kind of good stuff. So I am going to address all of that today in today's episode. I'm going to start by defining phenomena. Um, There's a bunch of different definitions of phenomena, but the one that I like the best is what I call the CNC Music Factory definition of phenomena, which if you're in your mid to late 30s, um, you'll probably get this reference. And if not, then you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, But to me, phenomena is the things that make you go, hmm, okay, it's the stuff that makes you curious. And it's all of the stuff that connects your science classroom to the real world. And I think a lot of teachers get this definition a little bit skewed because um, when we think of phenomena, we often think of like phenomenal with a connotation that um, it's like a big wow thing. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case. And I don't think that there's those two things are necessarily mutually exclusive. Things can be wow and um, make your students curious. But I think that the number one thing that they need to do is make your students feel curious. Um, We also talked in episode two about the shift from a very teacher-led classroom to a student-led classroom. And if students aren't seeing a connection and they aren't engaged and they aren't curious about the material in your class, then that makes that shift very difficult. You're not going to get your students to drive the instruction in your classroom if they don't care about it. We also know that connecting to phenomena presents students with a problem or a puzzle or something to figure out. And when students are figuring stuff out, the the likelihood that they'll remember what they learned in class is much, much greater. 
I think that by looking at phenomena in your classroom, it also helps alleviate a problem that I don't know if you've experienced in your class, but I've definitely experienced it in mine, where students are asking why they have to learn something. Why do we have to know this? When you start with your phenomena, you're providing students with that why first, and you're making a connection to their real lives. I think this is especially important for your students who don't naturally see themselves as scientists, and for those who um, aren't naturally science curious, um, because your students who are great at science will find those connections themselves. It's the students who struggle who really need that connection to be explicit. There are two different types of phenomena that I'm gonna talk about today. The first is anchoring phenomena, and that is phenomena that, will, um, that you will refer back to for kind of a longer period of time. And then the second type of phenomena is investigative level phenomena. And that might be something that students only look at for um, a day or two, and then they move on. The investigative level phenomena should have some connection to the anchoring phenomena. One of the questions that I get most often is where to find phenomena and how to relate it to your curriculum. And unfortunately, the answer isn't super simple. The reason it's not simple is because the phenomena should relate to your students and your students specifically and as specifically as possible. So what might be relatable to my students isn't necessarily going to be relatable to yours. Um, and there's a little bit of trial and error in that. You might find something amazing um, that you find very interesting and then you present it to your students and they just don't care. And when that happens, you're kind of forced to shift some of the stuff that you've created and look for new phenomena. So the, the first step in this process is really looking at your standards because if you have an amazing phenomena that your students will engage with, but it's not related to your standards, then you can't really use it in your classroom. So what I like to do is look at the performance expectations for the entire school year and start to bundle those. Bundling is just a term that means taking related performance expectations and putting them together. Um, I personally like to use the performance expectations because those are three-dimensional, but other people like to look specifically at DCI or disciplinary core ideas. I like to think about how these performance expectations relate to my students as I'm bundling them. So I'm keeping phenomena in mind during the bundling process. And that doesn't mean that I have to have um, phenomena pre-selected, but I'm just trying to keep um, the relationship between the performance expectations and my student lives at the forefront when I'm making these little packages of performance expectations. And I like to write out all of my performance expectations on sticky notes and then just like literally put them on top of each other or next to each other and move them around. Um, because as I'm building storylines and as I'm thinking about my year as a whole, that picture is going to become more clear over time and that picture is going to change. Also, early in this process, you're going to have to do a little bit of research to find out what things are important in your students' lives. And I like to start with environmental issues. Um, I find that environmental issues are very engaging for students. 
um, it presents them with a problem that they can start to try to solve. And um, it's something that I think that most students can relate to on a very real level. So I'm going to give you a few local examples. Um, so the first one is because I live in the California Central Valley, um, the region is prone to flooding and we're close to two major rivers and we live in a Delta region. So flooding is really at the forefront of students' minds when it starts raining. And um, you can take this environmental phenomena, this idea of flooding, and relate it back to your content. So I could relate this to things like the water cycle and the role of water in Earth's surface processes. I could potentially relate this to local ecology and connect those to my ecology standards, or perhaps I can create some type of bundle between um, my Earth system standards and my ecology standards. If I'm connecting this to the water cycle, I might also be able to connect it to my physical science standards because I can talk about how thermal energy um, relates to particle motion and how that's involved in the water cycle. So we're close to mountain ranges where there's lots of snow. And when that melts, that increases the water that's in the rivers and um, also the likelihood of a flood occurring. So there's a lot of unrelated stuff that we could potentially tie in. Um, also, I could be tying in my um, human activity standards because um, human floodplain management is involved in this phenomena as well. So as you can see, there's a bunch of different connections that I could make to one phenomena, which would help me with that bundling and it would help make the content more relatable to students. So rather than teaching something like the water cycle, I could connect it to that local phenomena. And I don't know about you, but I don't love teaching the water cycle. It's not super engaging, but connecting that to my students' lives makes it significantly more engaging. So I could also potentially tie those into um, engineering standards and have students look at areas that are prone to flooding that are local and see if they could potentially design some type of solution for that problem. So that's just one example of ways that you can connect standards to a phenomenon. Uh, another local issue that we're facing is really poor air quality. So um, this region where I live was recently ranked um, the fifth worst in the United States or something like that for air quality. And there's a lot of different factors at play. There are um, like topographical issues that cause smog to be trapped in this local area. Um, we also are very near a lot of places that have been experiencing wildfire lately. Um, and in fact, our school closed down for a day last year because of the Paradise Fires, because the air quality was just so poor here. So that's something really relatable to students because they can still remember that we had to close the school down because the air quality was so bad. Um, and that can connect to many different performance expectations. I can connect those to, what is it, MSPS 1-3, I think. Yep, that's the right one. So that one um, asks that students gather and make sense of information to describe that synthetic materials come from natural resources and impact society. So we could talk about how fossil fuels um, are being used 
for fuel and then released into the atmosphere through those chemical processes. So I could tie in chemical reactions as well. Um, I could tie in health issues like asthma and pull on some other performance expectations there as well. Um, so when you are starting with a local environmental phenomena, it's really easy to bring in all different components that, that are relatable and then branch out from there. I think it's also a great idea to look at things like um, health-related issues and how they relate to your content. So when I taught high school biology, one of my first units was on um, nutrition. And um, nutrition isn't specifically mentioned in the standards, but nutrition provides a phenomena that relates to things like macromolecules. So macromolecules, I feel like, is one of the driest things to talk about in um, biology, especially like if you're starting the year with that. But relating it back to food makes it much more applicable to student lives, um, especially I just so happen to have a bunch of football players in my room. So when I said macros and amino acids and stuff like that, that became quickly much more relatable to the students. If you can tie in sports, if you have um, very athletically minded students, that's fantastic. Um, you can tie in things like Newton's laws to um, things like weightlifting, which which may or may not connect to your students. Um, you can look at things like antibiotic resistance. Um, it just so happened that one year I was teaching about genetic mutations and there was a huge outbreak of MRSA with the wrestling team on campus. So that may not have been super relatable to my students before that, but then after that, students really understood the connection that they had this infection that they could not get rid of and why that was a problem. So I think it, um, tying in different types of health issues as well, like um, I have gotten a lot of requests from students to look at cancer, um, which you need to be really careful if that's the direction that you're going to go in your classroom, because um, there are some students where they really want more information because that connects very closely to something that they're experiencing at home. There are other students who do not want to talk about something like that in class. So um, with something like that, I try to make that an individual project type thing where they can choose um, if they want to pursue information about something like that. Um, so that's just another avenue that you can use. Students don't necessarily have to connect all to the same phenomena. I think it's also really important to look at the age of your students because things that are appropriate for middle school and high school students would not necessarily be appropriate for um, elementary school students. So in my middle school classes, we focus a lot on like big major disasters because I think that students find that engaging but that might be way overwhelming to um, students in an early elementary and possibly even an upper elementary class to be talking about like, you know, the end of the world or catastrophic events or something like that. Um, for younger students, I find that um, play-based phenomena works really well. Um, a lot of the K2 standards are written um, so that they can connect to things that happen on the playground. Um, my daughter, I've said this over and over again, is going into third grade this year. So things that are super relatable to her um, happen on the playground. 
And that's the kind of phenomena that she really connects with. Um, she also is super duper interested in animals. She thinks animals are the coolest thing ever. And she wants to, um, she wants to be a horse trainer when she grows up right now. I don't know that might change next week, but, um, but looking at what is engaging to a specific age group is also important. Another thing to consider is your student's prior knowledge and prior experience in the science classroom. Um, I know that a lot of us are working in situations where students are not being taught um, in an NGSS aligned classroom in their elementary school, or perhaps you uh, teach high school and students aren't getting that fully NGSS aligned um, curriculum in middle school. Um, so because NGSS is so new, we have to build a lot of that capacity within our students. Um, so for example, we I was in a training recently where we talked about um, forces that act on a soccer ball and how that's a great phenomena for third grade. And then um, somebody in the room brought up the fact that her middle school students did never get that in third grade. So this would be a new phenomena for her middle school students. And that would make it very appropriate for her class. And I mean, in an ideal world, we would be working in situations where there were like K-12 science departments and you could vertically articulate your phenomena across grade level bands and all of that kind of great stuff. But we know the reality is that um, for most of us, that doesn't happen. And um, not that it will never happen, but it just hasn't happened yet. So that should also be taken into consideration when you're choosing phenomena. So I've spent a lot of time talking about that relatability component um, with phenomena. So I'm gonna switch gears just a little bit. I think that when I'm talk talking about that relatability, I'm really talking about um, anchoring phenomena and not necessarily investigative level phenomena. I feel like anchoring phenomena has to relate super closely to student lives an investigative phenomena can be more lab-based, and I'll kind of give you some information about what I mean by that. So I'm going to tell you about this in relationship to my seventh grade class. So I have noticed that seventh graders come in with a pretty basic knowledge of the water cycle. Like they can tell me about evaporation and cons uh, condensation and precipitation, um, but they struggle to tell me about the role of um, the sun and gravity in that process um, on more than a very basic level. So one of the standards that they're supposed to look at in seventh grade is looking at how um, thermal energy affects particle motion. So that's where I'm starting. So the anchoring phenomenon that we're looking at is the relationship between solar energy and seasons and local flooding. And that's really easy for students to connect to um, because that's something that they experience locally. So in episode two, I think, um, I talked about how your phenomena need to keep your students engaged in what's happening in your classroom. And it also needs to be used to lead students in the right direction. So this anchoring phenomenon is not super duper closely tied to the content that I need to teach. So I need to make that connection for my students. And I'm going to do that using investigative level phenomena. So when Nicole and I talked about this before, um, we kind of talked about like this Hansel and Gretel analogy. 
Um, and I kind of talked about my ET analogy where, um, where you're really dropping that candy along your path in order to keep students engaged and on the right track. So one of the investigative level phenomena that I'm going to expose my students to is taking two different beakers of water, one with hot water and one with cold water, and then dropping food coloring in each beaker. So students will experience the phenomenon of seeing that, um, that the food coloring in the beaker full of hot water will move around much more quickly than the food coloring in the beaker of cold water. So that's an investigative level phenomenon. Um, investigative level phenomenon could be things like demos or investigations that your students do or anything else that really engages students in that content. Um, if you're using a 5e model, this is going to be at the start of your instructional sequence. So this investigative level phenomenon helps students to make sense of that relationship between temperature and particle motion but it's not necessarily super relatable student lives. Um, I think that investigative level phenomenon needs to be simple enough for students to be able to understand it, but um, that connection to their everyday lives doesn't need to be as explicit. So you might be creating scenarios in your classroom that students don't relate directly to, but are simple to understand. Um, your investigative level phenomenon though should connect to each other. So this piece of investigative phenomenon is going to link to my next piece of investigative phenomena, which will be students looking at the beakers that they were just looking at a couple of minutes before. And most students will notice right away that there's steam collecting inside of the beaker with hot water and that there's condensation collecting on the outside of the beaker with the cold water. So this is going to be the next thing that we're going to investigate in my class and students will start to develop an explanation for why this happens. So I'm regularly dropping this investigative level phenomena in order to help my students better understand that anchoring phenomenon. I know that my students are coming in with difficulty understanding the role of solar energy and the role of temperature and particle motion and how that relates to the water cycle. But by the end of this instructional sequence, students should have a really strong explanation. So this might not be the best example because I might not do something like this um, later in the school year. I think it's really important to connect to prior knowledge and prior content that your students have covered in previous grade levels. But I probably wouldn't make such a strong connection to performance expectations from another grade level if it wasn't the start of the school year. I think that this is a really nice way to warm up and get students re-engaged in the material and remember what they were doing last year. Um, but this instructional sequence might look really different midway through the school year. So for those of you guys who are not so new to NGSS, you are probably seeing the strong relationship between phenomena and your storylines. Um, in episode 14, I'll be spending some time talking in depth about your storylines. And um, we'll spend a little bit more time talking about how your phenomena relate, but I'll specifically talk about storylines in that episode. Also, for those of you guys who came here to just find quick places to find phenomena, um, unfortunately, I know that this didn't necessarily meet that need. You can always Google NGSS and phenomena, and there are plenty of websites who will take you to 
um, different phenomena related to the performance expectations. Um, but with all things NGSS, um, the best answer is not always the easiest one. Um, it works so much better to think about your performance expectations in bundles and really think about the phenomena that will relate best to your students. So um, I know that this won't be the last time that we talk about phenomena because it's such an important topic in an NGSS aligned classroom. Um, but for next week, we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about the 5e model and go into some depth on that. If you are enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts, because it really helps us out. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.